Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day where the life of Jesus meets yours. You've got your daily Bible reading today from Amos chapter 3. Amos chapter 3. We will be including the headings from the EHV translation as well. Why Amos must prophesy. People of Israel, listen to this word that the Lord has spoken concerning you, concerning the entire family of clans that I brought up from the land of Egypt. You alone have I chosen from all the clans of the earth. Therefore, I will inflict punishment on you for all your guilt. Can two people walk together without agreeing to do so? Does a lion roar in the forest if it does not have prey? Does a young lion growl from its den if it has not caught anything? Does a bird fall into a trap on the ground if there is no bait? Does a trap spring up from the ground when nothing has tripped it? If a ram's horn is sounded in a city, the people become alarmed, don't they? If a disaster takes place in a city, is it not the Lord who has done it? Certainly the Lord God does not do anything without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared. Who can avoid being terrified? The Lord God has spoken. Who could hold back from prophesying? Judgment against Samaria Make this known to the citadels in Ashdod and to the citadels in the land of Egypt. Tell them, Gather yourselves together on the mountains of Samaria. See the great confusion there and the oppression in her midst. They do not know how to do what is right, declares the Lord. They are storing up violence and destruction in their citadels. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. An enemy is all over the land. He will strip your strength from you, and your citadels will be plundered. This is what the Lord says. Just as a shepherd rescues two legs or a tip of an ear from the mouth of a lion, so the Israelites who live in Samaria will be rescued with only a corner of a bed or a piece of cloth from a couch. Listen and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of armies. Indeed, on that day, when I punish the rebellious deeds of Israel, I will punish the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off, and they will fall to the ground. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house. The houses decorated with ivory will be destroyed, and the great houses will come to an end, declares the Lord. This is the word of our God. Amos continues his theme that the Lord roars from Zion, that the Lord is like a a mighty lion who roars. And chapter 3 here, Amos probably uh, seems to anticipate some objections to his prophesying. And he prophesies primarily against the northern kingdom of Israel, and Samaria is its capital city at this time. And there's this objection that we are God's people, we are God's chosen people. Surely, surely you cannot bring such destruction on us, especially when all the other nations around us are the pagans. We are God's people. Surely God should have mercy on us. And the metaphor that God uses here, especially in chapter 3 at the beginning, um, Does a lion roar in the forest if it does not have prey? Does a young lion growl from its den if it has not caught anything? That is a strong word of warning because God has caught his people and he roars. The Lord roars from Zion. That was chapter one. In chapter three, God says, he's roaring for a reason. (laughs) You alone have I chosen from all the clans of the earth. Therefore, I will inflict punishment on you for all your guilt. 
God says that their status as his chosen people means that he has a higher standard for them. And realistically, they should not be falling back on that status as the chosen people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as reason why God should not carry out judgment against them. Rather, it is reason and every reason why God should have a higher standard for them. And so God answers that objection here with... um, pretty straightforward way, I suppose. And that's going to come around again when Amos actually goes up to the northern kingdom. A little bit later in the book, he basically gets thrown out of the thrown out of the nation, thrown out of the countryside and told to go back, go, go away, go back to Judea, go back to that land of Judah. And Amos says, you know what? The Lord has roared. The Lord is powerful and he is coming in judgment. Certainly, verse seven, the Lord God does not do anything without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared. Who can avoid being terrified? The Lord God has spoken. Who can hold back from prophesying? And that's kind of the the overall statement that we have in this chapter, that verse 8, God has roared. The Lord has spoken. Who can hold back? In other words, Amos has an obligation to tell the truth. And I guess we'll just pause there because there's a couple applications you could think of, and I'm sure that there are many more that would apply here as well. But perhaps one of them would be um, thinking of your pastor, that your pastor has been given a, has been called to serve in that particular place, wherever you happen to be listening. He has been called by Jesus through you, the church, that Jesus wants him to be there and to speak what God has spoken, to preach the word of God, to proclaim exactly what God's word says and how it applies to the individuals in the congregation, as well as to those who are outside of the congregation. Now that goal, that purpose of all that obviously is the glory of God. That is the apex and the purpose of all that we do, to bring God glory through faithful proclamation. And part of that faithful proclamation will result in faith, um, in people coming to faith, in people coming to an understanding in the Holy Spirit creating faith when that law and gospel have been proclaimed, or at least in some cases, when somebody has experienced the effects of the law and the natural knowledge of God in the conscience and in their life, and then they come to a church or they hear the proclamation of the gospel. And that gospel message is what the Holy Spirit uses to create faith. And God is glorified when those people are brought to faith. God is glorified when babies are baptized, adults are baptized, people are confirmed and verbally express that they walk in fellowship together. Together. Verse 3 Can two people walk together without agreeing to do so? Well, certainly not. But God is glorified when they do. And God is also glorified even when that message is rejected. We'll get to that a little bit later, as I said, in the book of Amos. But here, Amos seems to be heading off that objection. And he says, You know, God has roared. God is this lion. He is serious about what he has said, and that is part of his character, that he is holy and just, and that God is love. And at the same time, (laughs) that God's love is not dependent upon his action toward us. Rather, his action toward us is dependent upon his love toward us. Um, Keeping that in mind, I guess we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later this month when we get into our Questions People Ask um, Saturday series, and we discuss the question, can a God of love really send people to hell? I don't want to steal all our thunder from that. But the reality is that love is one of God's characteristics. It's part of who he is. It's one of his attributes, just as much as his holiness and his justice. And so a God of love certainly would have been more than able and certainly 
could have sent the entire world to hell because he had already given them, had already given us a pathway to heaven in the law. He did not need to provide a second way through the gospel, through Jesus fulfilling that law for us. God, a God of love, could have condemned the entire world to hell and still have been a God of love. There would have been no contradiction there, but God has sought to bring glory for himself through the death and resurrection of his own son. And so one thing that we also keep in mind that this Lord who has roared, he roars not only for his own glory, but also he roars in protection of his people. And that's part of what Amos is doing here as he proclaims, as God has sent him, that he is he is making this proclamation somewhat in defense of the believers. We already saw that in chapter two when he talked about the righteous who were being um, abused in that country and the faithful proclamation of the gospel and of the law or faithful proclamation of God's word, plain and simple, will be a protection for God's people. That is the message that God uses to guard and keep his people. And so the rest of this chapter, beginning in verse nine, under the, um, the EHV heading judgment against Samaria is this introduction or this, um, this statement to all the other nations around around them. Make it known to the citadels in Ashdod, the citadels in the land of Egypt. Gather yourselves on the Mount of Samaria. See the great confusion there and the oppression in her midst. God is saying, come and watch. Come and see the judgment that he is going to carry out against his own people. And part of that, um, part of that is a warning to the nations around them that if God did not hold his own people guiltless for their sin, how much more will God hold the other nations accountable for their sin? Those who are not the chosen nation. But there is the reminder, and I think we've touched on this idea before as well, that those to whom much is given, much has been expected. That if you have the word of God, you have been informed and your conscience has been shaped. And the expectation, yes, in a sense, is higher, even though the expectation is still the same. Because you're not going on the basis of the simple natural knowledge of God, going by what you have in your conscience and in your heart. But you also have the revealed knowledge of God, the word of God, where we have God's law and God's, yeah, God's law laid out for us in black and white, quite literally, um, letters on the page. And so God really drives to this closing verse, verse 15, and he drives to this closing verse with this word of judgment, where everything he had talked about in chapter two, about how they had, even though they had a prosperous nation and it looked like things were going very well politically, spiritually, they were rotten to the core. And so God says, verse 15, as he kind of alludes to their affluence, I will strike the winter house along with the summer house. The houses decorated with ivory will be destroyed and the great houses will come to an end. God's says that his judgment is coming. And that judgment um, is, is also a spiritual judgment, a judgment on them because of their idolatry that we see in verse 14. He says, I will punish the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altars will be cut off and they will fall to the ground. Those horns that they would put on the corners of an altar symbolizing the strength of, of their God. And so this is a declaration of our God that the Lord has roared from Zion and he is more powerful than the other gods that the Israelites worshiped. He is more powerful than their political success and their uh, material affluence. And so what do we learn from this? That the Lord has roared for you, that Jesus describes himself as the lion of the tribe of Judah, that he is the one who protects you and me 
He is the one who has spoken to us in his word. And sometimes that word is difficult to hear or difficult to preach um, because that word is unflinching. It's a word of law that makes us uncomfortable, but it is also a word of gospel that comforts us and protects us. And so as you go about your day and as you look ahead to this beautiful weekend before us, take a moment to thank God for his word. Take a moment to recognize our beautiful status as God's chosen people, that out of all the people in this world, he has called you to be his own. He has chosen you. He has justified you. He has washed you. He has made you his own. And may we live up to that calling through his grace that he who has declared us to be righteous in his sight, may he also continue to bring to completion the work of holiness within us, that his name may be glorified today and always. Thanks so much for joining us here at the Reads with Jesus podcast. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for part three of our Saturday series with Professor Mark Paustian, as well as the Saturday Thursday podcast with Pastor Zarling and Pastor Lightning. They'll be talking especially about the man of lawlessness in Second Thessalonians. God bless your day.